a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. In this podcast, we tackle situations unfolding around the world, news events, current affairs, international relations, and there is no one better, more qualified to break these things down than this gentleman right in front of me in the studio here, Dr. Keith Souter, decades of experience in media commentation on international relations. You've got a couple of PhDs on it. You're the man, Dr. Keith. (laughs) Thank you. You're also very good at making this stuff very accessible and breaking it down, making it really easy to understand. And that's why, you know, this is a popular podcast for people to listen to, to, to get a taste of international politics, but none of the jargon that goes with it. So obviously a big period of time in American politics We're about to see Joe Biden take the presidency and, well, we need to talk about whether he's going to have smooth sailing because Dr Keith, brand new to the chair, he's not had a smooth transition in the slightest. What to expect? Yep. So I think that um, we can look at this as having two immediate issues, which the whole question, as you've hinted at, the, the voting process, the election, and then also COVID. And then I think there are the bigger, long term, more structural issues like the, the what I call the death of the American dream, which is a growth of poverty. We'd, we'd need to look at that. And then some of the foreign policy challenges and then some of the domestic political challenges that exist for him. So just deal with those two immediate upfront issues. One is what we might call um, alienated voters. In other words, that Trump won more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016 and more votes than any previous Republican candidate. Biden, of course, did extraordinarily well and so beat him. But it is interesting that there are still 74 million Americans who, last November anyway, were still supporting Trump. Uh, It's interesting that in um, Congress at the moment, there are a number of Republicans who still believe that Trump lost the election because of theft, But do they actually believe that or are they just playing the game? I don't know. It's very difficult to work out what their sense of reality is. Some of them are just so solidly Trump that they're blind to alternative facts, which is the real issue. And it's worth bearing in mind that Trump had made politics interesting and he exploited the pre-existing divisions in the United States. My view is that the US has got immense problems and Trump, instead of solving them, only made them worse. But he didn't create them. Barack Obama was fond of saying that Trump was a symptom and not the cause, and I think that's a good way of summoning it up. It's interesting that many Americans felt neglected by the inner-city, political correctness-driven, woke politicians, and Trump gave to this large mass of, of Americans what Richard Nixon would have called the forgotten Americans, gave them a voice. The tragedy is that although he gave them a voice, he didn't actually introduce reforms that actually helped them. An obvious one would be the exploitative financial system, whereby ordinary Americans are getting ripped off in the banking system. He did nothing about consumer protection and and this sort of thing. So after four years, I think he's really let down his own voter base, but many people still remain loyal to him. And we actually now have record sales of guns and ammunition in the United States and open talk of civil war. And of course, We saw those terrible events of January 6th with Trump supporters storming the US Congress to disrupt what is normally just a formal process 
just quite quite bizarre. It wasn't so, bizarre. It was it was like it was profound and it was felt around the world. Keith, yeah. it was extraordinary that that happened. Absolutely extraordinary. How did that happen <laughs> in a developed nation? The, the leading, like yeah. you know, world power. <laughs> exactly. So you know, for me, the bottom line is that Biden or any other politician will have great difficulty in unifying such a divided country. So that that's the first thing. That's the whole issue of alienated voters. The second one is the whole question of COVID. And we now know from the journalist Bob Woodward, who's a very good investigative journalist, you know, the younger Bob Woodward was the one who came up with the Watergate scandal back in 1972, 73, 74. So he's this veteran insider. And he interviewed Trump quite early on at the beginning of last year, 2020. And Trump said that he'd been briefed on the severity of the risk. So very early last year, Trump knew there was a problem. So Trump gambled that the predictions were wrong about the severity of the crisis. So he had a choice. One was that you talk the crisis down, hoping that it's going to go away, that it's just only, you know, like an attack of the flu or whatever, that it'll go away. Because Trump reasoned that no American president gets re-elected if there isn't a booming economy. So if the economy had gone down, then Trump would not have got re-elected. And so he figured, well, look, if I continue to talk it up and how well stock, the stock exchange is going, perhaps so I can get re-elected because the economy is seen to be booming. So he gambled on a weak COVID crisis and a continuation of the economic recovery, at least by Wall Street standards, which had been taking place, for the, began under Obama and then continued under Trump. As we now know, it was the wrong gamble. And as we speak, 400,000 people have died in America. Uh, it's interesting to note that California has now changed its air purity regulations to enable crematoria to get back into business. So the burning of the bodies can now exceed the established air purity guidelines simply to dispose of the bodies. Because the hospitals are saying, we're running out of space. We don't have enough refrigerated trucks Ugh. to keep these bodies. We've got to burn them, got to dispose of them, bury them or cremate them. So that was that was one thing. But, I, you know, if, if the, well, ironically, again, going back into history, every president since the year 1812, that's when Britain went to war with the United States. Different from the War of Independence, that was earlier. But there was a, a border dispute and the United States and Britain went to war for a second time. The British got into Washington. They burned down what was a building called the President's Palace. And it was repaired and painted with white paint. And so the name was changed from the President's Palace to the White House. So that's 1812. Every president standing for re-election in a war has been re-elected starting in 1812. So an alternative strategy that Trump could have adopted would have been to have said, look, we are now at war. We're dealing with this China virus. He could declare himself a wartime president, put the nation on a war footing, which is basically what he did with the amazing development of the vaccine. Vaccines take usually take an awfully long time to develop. We still don't have one for HIV AIDS 40 years after the crisis began. So... 
to get it done within a year or so is an incredible achievement. And I think that he could have been re-elected if he had recast himself as a wartime president, particularly given the lack of enthusiasm for Biden. I think he could have been re-elected if he had treated the COVID crisis differently. And, of course, the problem for Biden now is that the crisis has highlighted the US's dysfunctional healthcare system. Trying to get the vaccines distributed will further illustrate that dysfunction. And I've, I've noticed a recent opinion survey has said that a majority of Americans will refuse to be vaccinated. So in other words, vaccines don't save people, vaccinations do. And if you've got a majority of your population saying, we're not going to be vaccinated... Uh, you know, we have looked at this whole vaccination controversy I mean, no, but, in a previous but, podcast. But this is quite interesting, Keith, because Trump followers are obviously anti-mask wearing or whatever, you know, and yeah. probably the anti-vaxxers that we're talking about. However, they're also, like Trump has made, tried to make very clear that he's the one behind the vaccine and the quick rollout of the vaccine. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting sort of paradox, if you will. Like it's <laughs> it's his followers that won't take the vaccine who are anti-mask, but yet Trump is still trying to peddle it. That's so right. wouldn't they be listening to that? And members of his cabinet, including Mike Pence, have been very publicly injected. So, and Trump is not speaking out against the vaccines. He's boasting about mm. it. But you've still got, and this is, of course, you know, just reflects the dysfunctional nature of the American political culture. Thanks to all the anti-vax talk, which is not a new issue, remember? Trump didn't invent this. It's not a product of the Trump era. It's something that we've had within the US political system as it is in the British system and here in Australia. Remember, we've got clumps of people in this country, particularly around Byron Bay, for example, eastern suburbs of Sydney, who will not get vaccinated. And you need to get somewhere of the order of 70 to 80% to achieve herd immunity. So Biden has got an immediate problem of just getting the vaccinations rolled out, even though they're they're taking over schools, etc., as as vaccination centres, They've got to get the vaccines produced and they've got to win over enough people willing to be vaccinated. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking about the new American president, Joe Biden. He has not inherited a very happy country at all. It's probably the most divided it's been since the Civil War, would you (laughs) probably say, Keith. And also, of course, the Trump supporters aren't going anywhere they are very focused on making their disgruntlement continually heard about what they see as an unfair election. Mm. So what is the country inheriting and how does he move past this? What's he likely to focus on? Well, the, 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 I think it's a very big structural problem, which is the whole issue of poverty, the death of the American dream. A happy nation does not elect a Donald Trump. And so in 2016, Trump secured his stunning victory. It was the biggest upset in American politics since 1948. You've got to go back to Harry Truman for such a stunning victory. And this is because of the resentment that many people felt about the death of what's called the American dream. So that is increased wealth and entry into the middle class. A good example of this, although she doesn't talk about Trump or anything like that, is Elizabeth White, who's... um, on YouTube. Now, she's got a Harvard MBA. So she's a well-educated woman. She's living in a good part of Washington, D.C. Her book is called 55, Unemployed and Faking Normal. In other words, that she is um, an example 
of the Americans who need to keep up appearances. But she's broke. She's living in a good area of Washington, D.C. She's eroding her savings. She can't get a job. She's got a Harvard MBA, but cannot get a job. So if you're unemployed in the 50, in your 50s, you're going to have difficulty getting a job. So ironically, Smith White now has a new career, in effect, talking about what it's like to be an unemployed person in, in middle age. And so she doesn't talk about Trump or anything like that. In fact, some of this began well before Trump arrived. But Trump was able to weaponize the shame that people felt about the fact they were out of a job or now with a job, which was far less than what they had intended. It is interesting that what we've seen in the United States has been an economic revolution, uh, one of the, well, a number of revolutions. One of them is the growth of what's called financial engineering and the financialization of the US economy. So in other words, you get bankers and other people who use money to make money rather than actually make something of use. A great example here in Australia would be real estate agents. All they're doing is just churning over real estate. They're not building any new homes. They're just churning over existing buildings or putting new, new homes or buildings onto the market. So in the real economy in the United States, which is agriculture, manufacturing, basic services such as teaching and nursing, there's not been a dramatic increase in wealth. If you're working on Wall Street, yep, you're richer. That began under Obama, continued under Trump. But if you're an ordinary American, then in fact you have seen your level of income in effect just flatten out. So the middle class have not gotten any richer in the last 30 to 40 years. And what about the cost of living? Has that gone? And the cost of living has obviously gone up. So people are being financially squeezed. And this includes also the whole issue of student loans, uh, which uh, that the total amount of money owed on student loans. In other words, owned by students who'd received an education and owe it to the US government. The total amount involved is actually larger than the credit card debt in the United States. Now, Biden could cancel that overnight. Now, that would alienate a lot of Trump supporters because they never went to Harvard or university anyway. But Biden could certainly do that and win a lot of support for the upwardly mobile middle class who no longer feel particularly upwardly mobile. So so you've got all these issues of debt. And for the first time in recent American history, we've now got a generation coming into adulthood that does not expect to be earning more than its parents. So you've actually got diminished aspirations. So in this country, for example, children expect to earn more than their parents to own a larger house, etc. That is disappearing now in the United States. That's why people talk about the death of the American dream. And so the generation that's coming into the workforce now is saddled with student debts, limited good employment opportunities, high housing costs, and the prospect of having to survive in the gig economy, bouncing from one insecure job to another. So it's, it's a, you know, there's a high level of anxiety, and that's reflected in the mental health statistics. So that, that's a real problem. And Biden, of course, is not going to make any major challenges here. Biden himself comes from Delaware. If you ever want to have a a corporation registered, I recommend Delaware. They've got the lowest financial standards you could hope for. So it's very business friendly in his home state. And so he's very much a creature of Wall Street. 
as is his son, of course, Hunter Biden. We'll need to do a separate program about him. Meanwhile, of course, the real challenge or a challenge for the United States is to break up the big corporations like Facebook, Amazon and Google because they hold the position in the American economy similar, going back over a century ago, to what the railway companies and the oil companies had. And the US government took them on. They broke up those corporations. The problem this time is the new vice president, Kamala Harris, is the senator from Silicon Valley. Her power base is California. She's not going to break up, though. She didn't when she was attorney general in that very state. So we've got these deep structural issues, which are going to be very difficult to cope with. And remember, it was Obama who helped create Trump. And going back even further, I think you begin with Ronald Reagan and the the economic revolution that began under reducing government involvement in the economy and relying far more on the market. Well, in Australia, we call this new right economic rationalism. And it continued under Clinton, who wound back a lot of the reforms that were introduced in the 1930s, including the banking reforms that then triggered the 2008 crisis. Of course, Clinton was out of the White House by the time the banking system collapsed, and it's poor old George Bush who gets the blame. Uh, But it was Clinton who started that avalanche of deregulating the banks. So you get this line of continuity that begins under Reagan and then it's continued all the way along, no matter who's in the White House. And so you end up then with Obama continuing that pattern, which then triggers, of course, the election of Trump in 2016. Trump, of course, leads through to Biden, but Biden may well, in four years' time, lead through to another Trump-like figure. Mm. And somebody who's more articulate and better organised would then be in power for eight years than Trump. But I still feel like Joe Biden would know this and his advisors would be telling him this because he didn't get in. It wasn't a convincing win, as we know, and it was he was the only option. He's got a lot to do in the next few years oh, and, he, and, and also not die. And not die, good. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to try to keep him alive. Uh, Kamala Harris, if he does die, automatically becomes president. She doesn't have to stand for election or anything like that. She automatically serves out the residue of the Biden four years, and she will then appoint a new vice president in the event of her dying. Remember, this is the year 2020 uh, that the election took place in. Presidents, if they die in office, would have been elected in a zero year. The pattern begins in 1840 and continues all the way through. In 1980, it was Ronald Reagan who got shot, but he survived thanks to modern medicine. And, of course, in the year 2000, we get the election of George Bush, but he avoided the 9-11 terrorist attack. He was well away from Washington and New York when the planes came down. But we're now back into another zero year. It'll be interesting to see what happens to Biden. He's been elected in the year of a curse. So watch this space very closely, especially in the first couple of months, Keith. Absolutely. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 